Hey there, folks. Rob Hessler here with another episode of Art on the Air, my weekly Savannah Morning News special. Thanks, as always, for tuning in. Have a really, really special episode lined up for you this week. I have three interviews to share with you. This was a really special program that I put together for the Art on the Air episode for the week and my corresponding Art Off the Air column. We're going to be hearing from artist Heather Zatmary, musician Nick Bolka, and writer Nicole Rivas. And the three of them are all Parkside residents, which happens to be the neighborhood that I live in. Now, this isn't just some sort of vanity project, because the way that this kind of all came together is Heather is somebody who walks her dog in front of my house like every day and has been for number of years. So I've talked to her dozens, if not hundreds of times. And I recently discovered that she was an artist and not only an artist, but a really incredible artist. And it got me thinking, how many people live around us that are doing really awesome creative things that we don't have any idea about? So that got me sort of investigating my personal neighborhood. And although these are Parkside artists, it got me thinking that there are likely people like this, no matter where you live, whether it be in Savannah or beyond, people out there doing really incredible, creative, artistic things. If you just have a second to ask them what they're up to, you might discover it. So we will start first with Heather Zatmarie, then we will transition into my conversation with Nick Bolka. And then finally, we will finish up this episode of Art on the Air with Heather Rivas talking about her writing. But that's not all. At the very end of this episode, we are going to play one of Nick Bolka's musical selections. So stay tuned through the entire episode and you can hear that as well. Let's get right into it, starting with artist Heather Zatmarie. Enjoy. Rob Hester here with Art on the Air Field Notes. I'm speaking by telephone with Heather Zatmary, and we are neighbors. And Heather, of course, I see you all the time walking in front of my house with your dog. What's your dog's name, by the way? That's Ernie. Ernie. Okay, so I see you with Ernie all the time. And kind of a part of the reason why I wanted to reach out to you is because one of the cool things that I love about Savannah is how you run into random people and, you know, a lot of times your neighbors and they have like an incredible talent and you are an amazing artist. I love the work that you do. You've been at SCAD now for what, 24 years? Is that right? Teaching? 20, yeah. It's hard to believe. <laughs> 24 years. Um, and then you also live in the Parkside neighborhood. But first and foremost, kind of for people who out there who don't know your artwork, sort of describe what you're what you do as an artist, because I think it's incredibly intriguing. Thank you. So I kind of obsessively count things and I go through phases. So what I've been doing most recently is basically counting text messages that I send and receive from important people in my life. Um, And then after I've accumulated that data, I then sit down in a computer modeling program and I 3D model very non-objective forms based on the numbers I've tabulated. 
And then those forms become a range of different things, drawings, paintings. Um, I'm making jewelry currently. Um, and they're all based on sort of a linear wire frame that those 3D modeling programs produce. So the viewer has no clue. That's what I've done. <laughs> they just look at the lines that are creating these really cool forms um, on a surface. And um, it, the data is really for me. It's so that I can sort of take these things in my life that are not tangible and kind of make them into tangible images. Well, and they're really sort of complicated looking pieces. Um, you integrate some of them have color, some of them don't have color. And, you know, I think it's really important because these objects look so abstract that they almost look like they could be randomized, but they're not. I mean, you're using really specific data sets. And I know one thing, in, and we communicated a little bit um, via Facebook Messenger before this, and you mentioned how sometimes, like, the data doesn't result in something that you like, and so you decide not to use it. So talk a little bit about that and, like, sort of how you decide to use specific data points and how you decide, okay, this is a piece that I want to show. This is a piece I want to actually complete versus, okay, this is not really working out the way that I want it to. So I'll sit down at the computer, and I will start with a very simple form like a cylinder. And divide it into, if I have 12 months of data, I divide the cylinder into 12, um, like, horizontal pieces. And then I will start moving X, Y, and Z points on that cylinder based on the data. And then if I go, ooh, I like the way this is looking, <laughs> then it becomes something. If I'm like, eh, no, I'll abandon it halfway through. I won't even finish it. And it's just a gut reaction to how dynamic the form is looking or if it's a very static, very boring, very symmetrical look, I'll just leave it. I'll leave it in the computer. It never, never makes its way out of the computer. Um, but it's really just a matter of also if I, if it looks like something I've done before, I don't like to repeat myself. And so I, I want to make sure that with each attempt, I'm kind of creating something new within the same sort of visual language. Nice. And yeah, these ultimately end up being, of course, series. And you mentioned the, you know, you've done a, a couple of different series throughout. You know, you you um, kind of sent over things to me like your um, like your weight loss series. And you mentioned that you're, you know, you're documenting these text messages right now. But I kind of want to mention a series that maybe some people might be familiar with, and that's your fast food series, because a mutual friend of ours, Ruby McGrory, did an exhibition uh, called Fast Food, a group exhibition that she curated over at Location Gallery. And I know that got you involved in working at Location Gallery. So some people might know your work through collaborations with them and everything that they do with the nonprofit collaborations that they do. So talk a little bit about, maybe if you could, talk a little bit about that series and sort of how these kind of evolve into being more than just like, well, here's a work or two pieces into here's something that bigger that you really want to explore like into kind of a larger sort of body of work. Sure. So the Fast Food series, like you mentioned, Ruby had Ruby has present tense a hamburger that she bought in I want to say 
it's 13 years old. Whatever yeah, yeah, year yeah. Is. Right. It just had its 13 year birthday. It's 13th birthday. <laughs> and for its 10th birthday, and actually the hamburger has a gender, for her 10th birthday, um, Ruby invited many of her artist friends to make work for this exhibition for location. And then it raised money, I believe, for the Forsyth Farmer's Market. And, of course, many of the approaches were very illustrative because it's about fast food. But I don't work that way. So what I did is I sat down for one week and I counted the calories that I ate at every meal. And then I sat down at the McDonald's website and I calculated what the calories would have been had I been eating at McDonald's. So, like, if I had a salad for lunch... I figured out my caloric intake, and then I figured out McDonald's salads. If I had, you know, chicken and broccoli for dinner, I looked at what would I have eaten at McDonald's, a chicken sandwich or french fries. And so I created one piece for that show that illustrated my caloric intake and my imaginary McDonald's calorie intake, which, as you can imagine, was significantly more. Um, And then I chose the colors based on the colors of the food that I was eating and would have been eating. And because I already had the data and I already had the 3D form, I did kind of rework that piece, but only like two more times. So I didn't really do a big series based right. on that. But I but I did take the forms and then I painted them again in some different kind of compositions and different color schemes. But other times when it's a longer amount of data than a week, I'll approach it many different ways and create a lot of different 3D models. And then I just see, I see potential of what they can be. And so sometimes like for the text series, I've done them so many different ways and I do different texts. So I, I have the text messages from a five year relationship. I have text messages from a brand new six month relationship. I have a group chat that went on for three years And so I'll just approach them differently. And sometimes it'll be different views of the same form. Sometimes it'll be different materials. So like I'll 3D print something that I will also draw. Or I will turn a piece that might be like a three-foot wall piece into like a three-inch necklace. Mm. Just really kind of exploring and experimenting. And I just get bored easily. So a lot of it is just to keep myself entertained and try to solve new problems, really. That's so fascinating. I mean, what a what an interesting data set, by the way. Just the the cal- caloric intake and and just even analyzing. I wonder when you look at your pieces now, do you see the data? I mean, I know us as like ordinary humans wouldn't necessarily look at the work and be able to interpret the data. It's not obvious at all in the pieces. But can you see the data when you look at it? Sometimes, so you can see, you know, highs and lows are really obvious. But oftentimes I have to go back into the program and look at the notes that I left myself to remember how I did it. I also have all the spreadsheets, you know, that I can go back and look at also. Oh, my gosh. The spreadsheet sounds like art in and of itself. Well, they're not necessarily pretty, but I do see them as art. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, I can – I definitely – it will jog my memory. But do I know every last number? Absolutely not. <laughs> and I, I, I'm, I'm happy about that. <laughs> if I could remember every last little bit of data, I would not be able to function in a normal way. 
Oh, that's so funny. So this is exactly why I wanted to talk to you, because I think this is so fascinating. You've got all of this interesting stuff going on, you know, inside your head and, and what you're doing as you're going out for walks. And like, this is like one of those things that I think is so cool about people in general. And before we started recording this interview formally, I, you know, I mentioned to you, I think I feel like every person we meet is doing something really cool and interesting. We just have to sort of figure that out. I wonder if, as you're walking around your neighborhood of Parkside, if you think about that at all, like, the, do you, are you aware of the sort of really high amount of creativity that's happening throughout our neighborhood, whether it be, you know, visual arts? I'm sure you are aware that, you know, you have a number of colleagues here in that live in Parkside, but also music, writing, jewelry making, are you aware of sort of the amount of creativity that's going on around you as you're just walking around through your neighborhood? I mean, sometimes I am, like you said, I do have a lot of colleagues in the neighborhood. So I'm usually aware of what, you know, the SCAD people do. And I've been in Savannah a really long time. So when I'm at shows and I see work that I like, or I read something that, I, that intrigues me, names will stick with me. I don't always remember faces, so I don't necessarily know that that's that face that goes with that name, but I am very interested once I learn what people are doing, but I don't necessarily look at somebody and think, huh, what's their story? Mm -hmm. Although I wish I did, maybe get out of my own head for a little bit and be more interested in the people around me. <laughs> well, maybe now you will, you know, now because yeah. of the... If you think about it, like from my perspective in knowing, learning all of this about you, I mean, like how interesting is that? And like, you know, and I, and I know we all have sort of our unique perspectives and unique places that we come from, but I found that, you know, like every person has some unique thing that is just like really interesting. There's a great quote and I forget who it's by, but it says that every person you'll ever meet knows something that you don't. And I love to think about that all the time. And um, and I appreciate you sharing with me the things that I don't know um, that you do know. If people are interested in kind of learning more about you and your work, Heather, what's sort of the best way for people to find you? I know you're on Instagram, you've got your website, but what's sort of the best way for people to to sort of see what you're up to? I mean, I do think my website probably, although it needs updating as many of ours does, Um my Instagram, although my art does make appearances on that, it's more photos of my dog. <laughs> um, that's okay. All right, so but, that's uh, – I'll give the people, yeah. uh, you know, just so people understand. It's Heather Zatmarie, and that's S-Z-A-T-M-A-R-Y, Zatmarie.com. So – and there is a really nice look at your – at your various series. I mean, I, maybe you say it needs updating, but for those who are not familiar with your work, it's, it's really beautiful. And I think that, you know, we're talking about painting and 3d printed and stuff like that. I, you know, we're talking about this and without a visual reference point, I think it's kind of hard for people maybe to, you know, they might think of painting as being something, whether it be abstract painting or realistic painting. And this, I think is really, doesn't necessarily look like the kind of look like a lot of paintings maybe that you've seen before. No, uh, uh and and that's the hardest thing about my work is to explain to people what it is because it's so different than most of what they've ever seen, and and it doesn't fit into an easily organized category. Mm. And when I say painting, all I'm really meaning is that I use paint 
to draw is how I look at it. So I'm creating lines, but I, I just happen on that particular paint to be using paint. Sometimes I use gel pens. Sometimes I use a laser. There's all sorts of ways that I make these drawings, but paint happens to be one of them. Ooh, ooh, I love that. Also, just side note, as far as I can tell, I am the only Heather's at Mary on the planet. So when you do Google me, <laughs> pretty much anything that comes up will be me and or my work. <laughs> Very nice. Well, Heather, thank you so much for spending some time talking with me for Art on the Air this week. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Rob. Rob Hessler here with Art on the Air Field Notes. I am speaking by telephone with Nick Bolka, and we are going to be talking about a lot of different things. Nick is another Parksider, a neighbor of mine, and a musician, and our kids are friends. Um, so, Nick, you and I met. You were sitting on your front steps playing with your little girl and your little girl, Julia, and Gretchen and I and our kid, Lincoln were walking by, and we kind of looked up, and we saw it, said to ourselves, hey, that little girl looks about, be about the same age as Lincoln, and she's, what, like, three weeks younger than Lincoln, so... <laughs> yeah. Yep, she'll be two in December. Yeah, and Lincoln will be two in mid-November, and, um, and of course, at that time, and of course, you know, we still have the pandemic going on, but we were all quarantined. And so they were actually able to play together um, when, you know, it wasn't really safe for people to gather. At least they could gather and, and kind of play outside. So that was pretty cool. Uh, that was cool. And, and over the course of the time, of course, I, we, we kind of got to know each other a bit and learned that you are a musician. So people that aren't familiar with what you're doing musically, kind of let the listening audience know, like, what, what do you do? What is your, what is your sort of music background? What are you up to now? And, and sort of what is your background here as a musician? Sure. So I started playing guitar in college. It's just, you know, some, some to pass the time. My roommate was really good at it and I wanted to learn how to play. I, I played piano when I was a child and didn't really keep up with that. I wish I had, but you know, Sometimes those things don't go as you plan. Right. And looking back, I I had a job that was working at a music and performing arts center in college. So I picked up a music theory textbook when there was a lost and found and just started reading through it while these shows were going on and um I was learning the, the guitar at the same time, so I was just kind of fascinated about the whole language of music. And obviously, I didn't have my instrument there with me, so I kind of processed a lot of the things, and then I'd go home and mm -hmm. try and translate them. And so, then after college, I, I moved to Savannah and was interested in, in starting a band um, because I had one in Maryland too, which was just a group of friends that we, we would jam together. Nothing too formal there. Like what kind of music were you, were you playing? Like what stylistically would you say you kind of fit into? In college, it was definitely a psychedelic rock vibe. <laughs> All right. Pretty typical college stuff then. Yeah. <laughs> Party band. Like we'd do covers and, um, we had a bunch of original tunes. We, we played at like a showcase for the university of Maryland. And, I keep up with some of those guys still. Like, they're some of my best friends. 
so two years later, about when I was in Savannah, I was delivering pizzas actually at the time, and a buddy of mine who still lives in Savannah, uh, Brad Wilkerson, he played piano, so we decided we were going to jam one day, and his cousin was in town, and so we started a, a band about a month later after discovering we had a lot of similar tastes in music and, uh, and ideas about the world, and we hung out a lot outside of any music setting, too, so... It was kind of a natural thing, and I had been playing with some other people in town, um, Hoseon, Romo Soto, I hope I get that name right, and Dalton Bankert, and we started a little band. Hoseon played in like four bands at a time, and Mm -hmm. now he plays with a band called Vatican, which is a pretty popular metal band that they tour and they have like thousands of monthly listeners on Spotify and they're, they're really good. So it was a lot of fun cause he was a great drummer and Steve, the lead singer who was Brad's cousin is a, is a talented hip hop artist in his own right. And, and Brad's just a phenomenal keys player. He's played with um, Greg Allman and, and a bunch of really good jam bands that come through. Right. So the, the way that I fit into all that is I am a music writer. So I kind of wrote a lot of the songs and the material and the and the structure, and then let you know everybody else kind of fill in the details. And that means the lyrics and, um, but a lot of the melodies and the chord progressions were what I would write, and it just kind of became, you know, a whole greater than the sum of the parts. And we played for about three months. I know it doesn't seem like that long, but <laughs> that. We, we were really kind of prolific writers during that time, and so we had a lot of material. And a lot of that stuff didn't get released. So over the years, I've been trying to put it together along with material that I've written with other people in, in Savannah because musicians tend to, to know each other and hang out, and sometimes that means writing sessions. So all that has kind of culminated in trying to get some of those songs heard that no one's heard yet other than the people who have produced them and, and worked on getting them created. Well, so like this is really fascinating because I, I'm not a musician, so I don't really grasp like what, you know, what life as a musician is like, but we, you know, I sent you over some questions before we, before we had this phone conversation and there was one quote that really stuck out to me. I was sort of asking you about what you were working on right now, and you were kind of mentioning working on some of that unreleased stuff. And you said, recently I've realized that holding on to them is selfish. There's no such thing as done, only released or not released. It feels like some of these songs are on me to release. I thought that was really powerful because it is it is interesting how, I mean, I can understand this sort of as an artist. Like, we just sort of hold on maybe to something and, like, nobody ever sees it. I mean, is it even art? Like, if nobody ever knows it, I mean, I guess it can be just for us, but I kind of feel like it's such a big part of the artistic experience of, like, other people seeing it or hearing it and kind of getting feedback and letting the universe kind of interact with it a bit. Exactly. Um, I think as an artist and just as a... In my job, too, I can be a little bit of a perfectionist, and I think a lot of that was also some of the members of um, the bands that I've been in, wanting everything to just be at that, you know, ultimate level. And sometimes it's what you think is going to 
what people will like and what is like perfection is is not actually when you release it it's other people are happy with the imperfections those are the kind of the notes that you look forward to when you listen to songs maybe like a voice cracking or something but it just kind of takes it to another human level and um and sometimes that can be the best part of the song so it's unfair if you have a good song i think on in its own right then there's only so much production that can you know help it stand if it doesn't stand by itself and uh i think it's really the sign of maybe of maturing as an artist if you aren't holding back things that you are scared to be judged about or aren't maybe your best work because it's hard to tell just like you said it's hard to tell um you know what what is good or what isn't good or what should be released and what what not to release yeah that's such a good point i wonder though like because one of the things this sort of the the backbone of these interviews that I'm doing with you and, and with other Parkside residents is that there are like these people around you that you interact with maybe or you you know you see neighbors, you know, people that that are in your orbit, you might be have conversations, but you don't really know that behind the scenes are they're doing these like really creative things. And like you're in your studio i guess making music and you're creating this stuff and i didn't know that so like when's parkside gonna find out about this stuff you know what i mean like <laughs> you know what i mean like you say like put it I out do. there but That's it is point. you know it is like like uh, i mean i don't know if you maybe feel that too is like not just getting yourself out there but that there are other people too that are probably in the same boat as you that are like doing their creative thing and not even like you don't know it, you know, you don't even know it. And like, we knew each other probably for a couple of months before I ever listened to any of your music. You know what I mean? Because our kids are playing at the playground together or whatever, you know, and we chat, but then all of our conversation is completely wiped clean from our memories as we go to take care of a, <laughs> of a child. <laughs> Exactly. But I wonder how you sort of feel about that, like getting, because I mean, I'm sure your neighbors would love to know what you're up to. And I, and I, you know, I, I know that this is a pretty creative community. Yeah. So I think there are, for me at least, there are different ways that I've thought about the idea of like exposure and just general, like you said, like putting yourself out there. And then that's one side of things. And the other side is the creativity and kind of, I think more in line with maybe what the, like, uh, the artists here in Parkside that have sort of this, um, these things going on that, that no one knows about is because I think part of it can be a little meditative. It's just, it's, it's like a, it's a creative outlet that perhaps the, the listens and the likes and the kind of the ego driving, parts of being a performer or an artist um aren't as important so the it's more about your i guess artistic relationship with yourself in the sense of um i have to to make music or or do something and with with my time i think it's like a little bit of adhd i'm not sure but i've got to be making something sort of and and it's it's almost like a way for for me to 
workout emotions and it's therapeutic and kind of meditative. Um, and I get a lot of just, you know, personal joy from working on tracks and, um, it, it can be a bit obsessive too, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that's a really good point. It's like, it's almost like it's a need rather than for, I think, and I think that you're kind of reflective of many, many artists. I mean, you know, I'm sure we all have as creative types, we have like a dream of, of, you know, making it big or, or, you know, somehow living it, living through just the art that we're making and all of that. But I think for most folks though, that doesn't end up happening. And so, but the need to create still exists. And I think as we get older, it becomes less and less important for anybody else to care. You know what I mean? Right. Like, like, I remember when I was a younger artist, I definitely felt like it was really important to me that other people thought what I was doing was good or important. And now I'm kind of like, eh, I'm just going to do what I want to do. Yeah. I think for me, it, it's, um, that it's, it's definitely a, a drive to, to be creative. And sometimes when I have, um, an audience and an expectation that let's say I want my music to be like as listenable as possible, then, um, in some sense I can feel a little bit, well, I can have that lurking in the back of my mind. Like, do I want to, do I want this music to be as listenable as possible? And, and perhaps that means like use chords that maybe fit more in a, in a pop setting Mm. Um, or maybe jazz it up. And and there always becomes a point when I'm making a song where I could take it either direction. Like I can make the song as listenable as possible and radio friendly. And oftentimes that's the best way to go. And that's where I struggle with, I think, as an artist is sometimes you don't need to just pile tons of effects onto the guitar and auto-tune everything into, you know, soulless oblivion but um <laughs> but sometimes there's creative there, there's definitely creativity in, in those in those tools um so it can be tricky if you want to like you know turn every portrait into a jackson pollock that kind of thing happens with music too where it's like okay i could splatter some paint on this now and it becomes totally taken in a new direction like almost shifting the focus and i and i think with music those like small additions can add up over time to where you all of a sudden your song now is um kind of lost the the original vision and i think that happens to me sometimes but i'm, I'm more aware of it now so i think releasing it or, or being able to release it or being comfortable with other people listening to it maybe is a better way of saying it is um sort of committing to a path you know so for me it's like i like the the ability to change things up if i if i want to nice nice well nick if people are interested in knowing and learning more about you and your music and everything that you're up to what is the best way for people to do that like how can they find what you're up to so I have a Spotify. Uh, I'll have some new old music coming out on there uh, soon. Yeah, it's under Nicholas Bolka, N-I-C-H-O-L-A-S space B-U-L-K-A. 
that has all my release stuff and I'll throw some links up on my website too. It's a really basic website, but, uh, it's just my name, Nicholas And so I'll put some more Easter eggs up on there with some other stuff that I've done under different artist names and, uh, stuff that maybe is a little bit more B side esque. Nice. Nice. Well, Nick, I appreciate it. And, and just, I want to give everybody a little last shout out here. If you go to Nick's Spotify, what's so awesome is your cover image is you, your wife and your kid. And it's very sweet. So, <laughs> uh, so thank you. Thank you so much, Nick. I appreciate it. Hey, it's been a pleasure, Rob. Thank you so much. Good talking to you. Rob Hester here with Art on the Air Field Notes. I am speaking with Nicole Rivas, and we are going to be talking about Nicole's writing today. She's another Parkside resident here, part of the series that I'm doing. And Nicole, I want to first talk about your sort of primary creative output right now, which is the work that you do for Newfound, which is a... Um, is it a printed... Is it, does, it, does it do any printed materials? I know the website is newfound.org but kind of give us the details of what that's all about yeah um so newfound is a great uh, magazine out of um university of texas in austin and um they put out an issue a couple times a year it's it's primarily uh digital only but occasionally they'll do print as well um but yeah i've, I've been serving as the flash editor with them for a couple years now um and it's great yeah they do we publish flash we publish um both fiction and, and nonfiction, uh, poetry and art. So it's a, so it's a great magazine. Forgive my ignorance here, but you use that term flash and I don't have any idea what that is. So describe for me, if I don't, I imagine other people don't. So what does that mean exactly? Because I know you've done flash fiction and flash nonfiction. Right now you're mostly focused on nonfiction there and in your own work, but I'm, I know that you've done a collection of flash fiction in the past. So sort of describe what that means, what that term means exactly. Sure. Um, I think the most simple way to, to put it is flash fiction is, is commonly defined as any sh- sort of short story that's under a thousand words. Ah, okay. um, there's a little bit of, of leeway with that, um, depending on who you speak to. Um, but yeah, generally under a thousand words. Um, there's also different, uh, you know, there's also microfiction, which some people define as under 500 words. So it's sort of these like bite-sized pieces of prose, whether that's fiction or nonfiction. Interesting. I really like that. So kind of talk about what you've been up to specifically, because I thought it was really interesting, you know, some of the topics that you sort of described to me in our correspondence before this interview, in that, you know, you are focused on running because you've been doing a lot of that lately. And I'm, I'm curious about that, but you've also been kind of bringing in women's issues. You've been bringing in issues for a safety regarding uh, black indigenous and people of color and, and the running and outdoor realm, mental health, climate, the climate crisis. So you're kind of hitting on a number of different topics. So talk a little bit about like the specific work that you've been up to. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's sort of a lot. So I, th- I think the cool thing about, well, all the running is that it gives you time to think. I've been training for a few different races, and, and during that time, I'm just sort of processing life in general, but, you know, also things specific to the pandemic and, and things that everyone's experiencing. So um, the essays I'm currently writing, I, I'm calling them flash nonfiction, uh, flash creative nonfiction. 
they're sort of centered around my processing of that, thoughts of that, and sort of tying them into being outside. Um, so being outside as a woman, being outside as a, a Latino person, um, you know, and just safety and, and things that we're, we're broadly concerned about, but that I've, you know, things that I've also personally experienced. So, Wow, that's really fascinating. And so for the most part, is that stuff getting published on newfound.org or are you doing that sort of putting together your own things? Because I know you've done that before. Previously, you put together your own collection. So sort of what venue are pe- could people sort of find your work in that in that regard? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, you know, I am flash editor for Newfound. I don't tend to publish my work through them. Mm-hmm. I, I do have one story um, through them, but mostly I'm, I'm sort of putting together stuff and submitting it to other literary journals, um, some of which are online, some of which are print. So yeah, if, if you go to my website, you can find a lot of those. I, I've also got, um, I think you may have mentioned earlier, um, a collection, collection of flash fiction um, so that was through a, a small press called Rose Metal Press. So yeah, I, I love to try and try and get my work in with some of the, the small presses that are doing a lot to sort of bring forward some, you know, seldom heard voices. Well, I appreciate your editorial organizational skills that you just put into play right there because you just provided me the perfect transition because I wanted to ask you about A Bright and Pleading Dagger, your uh, collection that you did put together of flash fiction. So talk a little bit about that project, which came out in 2018, and you mentioned Rose Metal Press. Talk a little bit about kind of what that whole project was, what you were focused on, and sort of the details behind that. Sure. Um, so a lot of that collection was actually written while I was in grad school um, mm-hmm. at the University of Alabama. Um, and it's, it's sort of funny, like when I when I came into grad school, I was, I was writing some longer form fiction, um, was originally a poet, or thought that I was a poet, and then I discovered this great thing called flash fiction, where you could write stories, but they could be really small, and sort of pack a punch like a, a poem typically does. Um, so I, you know, just sort of went crazy in grad school, um, exploring fa- flash fiction and more sort of like fabulous and surreal type things. And so a lot of the stories that are in that collection have that sort of fabulous, surrealist bent to them, um, where you don't really know if something's really happening or if it's sort of a a dream. So yeah, you know, a lot of that was from from that time. And when I put that collection together, I wasn't sure if it was going to be anything, anything worthwhile or anything anyone would want to read. But it actually won won their um, chapbook competition. So that's awesome. There, yeah, yeah. And I'll kind of mention again, you know, your website, which is Nicole Rivas, which is n i c o l e m r i v a s dot com. And I wanted to mention, because if you go to the section of uh, Publications and Awards, you can actually click, just click and not only purchase A Bright and Pleading Dagger, but you can actually click on a number of the pieces of short fiction that you've got on your site and just like literally read it right there, right then and there. So that's kind of cool. I mean, I, I yeah, certainly appreciate that's that. that's what I love about our, our digital landscape now is that everything's so accessible. That is true. So I, I want to kind of, what I think is sort of interesting, and I, and I want to get back to, you know, the physical fitness and, and sort of the active lifestyle and then kind of writing about that. Because you mentioned, of course, that you're training for races and you're also, of course, you work at a bike shop. You're a, um, you're a manager at a bike shop. I myself am actually an avid runner as well. And so I, I'm really curious about that kind of writing and sort of, you said you have there's a lot of time to think now, and that is, there's that is so true. Um, and I, when I run, I don't listen to music or anything like that. I, I like to just be in the, 
I don't know, just, I guess I'm, I never got into listening to music while I'm running. So now I just don't listen to music while I'm running, which means I only listen to the voices inside of my head. Are a lot of the things that you're kind of coming up with as far as your writing goes, are they sort of born of those runs or bike rides or anything that those sort of physical activities that you're doing, not just for like thematically, but also just in those moments where you're kind of like on your own out there doing what you're doing. Absolutely. Yeah. I I would say, I mean, yeah, certainly the running and the biking and that's all, you know, time for introspection, you know, to some level. Um, But even just like even the neighborhood, right? Like running around and the things that you're observing could be an interaction between, you know, two other people, all of that you're sort of absorbing, you know, either consciously or subconsciously. And um, I think it all finds its way into into my writing in some way, shape, or form, um, especially those essays that I've been working on. Parkside itself and just Savannah in general has been a huge inspiration. That's awesome. I want to yeah. mention you brought you know you brought in the neighborhood now, and I think that this is a great transition to talking a little bit about that. You say you know running around the neighborhood, and you know our neighborhood is very pretty walkable like people are always out and about um you know walking their dogs or running like you mentioned or you know out with their kids or whatever i wonder how much you notice okay this is one of the questions i have because we sort of talked we talked a little bit about this before we started the formal interview in how sort of the the basis for this article was that there are these people all around you that are doing really cool things that you don't realize that they're doing cool things you just pass by them i wonder if you're aware and you're kind of newer to savannah i wonder if you're aware of the sort of wide range of creativity and arts and writing and music that's going on because even i when i kind of put out this call which you responded to about being the subject of this article i was even surprised like all these people i didn't even know including you were like oh yeah i do this or i do that and i i actually added a whole bunch of people to my list of people that I want to talk to eventually. Um, so I wonder if you even know, are aware of that or were aware of that. Yeah. You know, when I first moved here about five years ago, you know, I knew about SCAD and I knew that there were some artsy, artsy folks there. Um, but yeah, it probably wasn't until I, I really started getting out in the community, just like on foot and, and on wheel. Um, they, you know, even just like going past people's yards, you'd see these like, one of my neighbors has this really beautiful, intricate planter structure that I think they've built out of, I don't know, like huge plastic bins. You may have seen it before. Um, oh, yes. I know I, who you're talking about. Yes. Um, yeah. uh, Joel Varland is his name. Oh, is it Joel? Okay. Yeah. They're like this blue, amazing structure. <laughs> and he's a SCAD professor, um, actually. So. Oh, is he? Is he? Okay. Yeah. And then, and even the other day on a run, I, uh, I came up to someone's yard at the, you know, they had one of those little libraries, but they had um, transformed it into this, like, little, I don't know, like, diorama of, like, this little room inside, so, like, you could peek in and look at a little bed and, like, this little easel inside, it was super cool, Um, and I was, you know, being creepy and taking pictures of their front lawn, so I can, (laughs) you know, remember it, but, um, yeah, like, you you know, I, I mean, my, my front yard is pretty boring. I don't think anyone would look at it and think somebody very creative lived there. But yeah, it took a while for me to realize that they were um, like-minded people were around, but yeah, they definitely are. That's so cool. Well, look, I want to round this interview off, Nicole, and I mentioned your website. 
is that the best place for people to find you, or do you have other means if people are interested in sort of discovering more about you and your work? Yeah, I would say my website's great. Um, I also have a Twitter. It's at Nicole M. Rivas, Twitter handle. Nice. Um, You can find my little musings on there as well. Very cool. Well, thank you so much, Nicole. I really appreciate your time today. All right. Thank you, Rob. time we have for this week's episode of Art on the Air with your host, Rob Hessler. Listen every Wednesday for our live show, broadcasting from 3 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time on 107.5 FM, Savannah Soundings, and worldwide at WRUU.org. And you can catch past episodes on the WRUU station archives on our website, as well as on iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. We'll talk to you next week 
where we'll have another batch of art on the air.